0: you guys have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, um, why don't you guys open them up to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. We are going to hopefully finish up this um, short little book this morning. And, um, you know, last week I I, um, I I preached a very uplifting message on hell. <laughs> so those who were here last week, maybe left a little troubled. Um, we, we focused primarily on on hell and um, and this week um, it's a little bit different. We, we transition away from this large city of Nineveh and we once again focus in on um, Jonah himself. And so let's go ahead. We're going to read all of um, Jonah chapter 4 and after we read we'll We'll pray and get into it, all right? So let's, let's read. Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger in abounding and steadfast love, in relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Verse 5 says, And Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. their right hand from their left hand, and also much cattle. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, um, I pray that as we finish this small book nestled in the end of the Old Testament, a book, a story that most of us are Extremely familiar with Lord, I pray that that you might reveal something anew to us today. God, I believe that um, many most of us find us find ourselves often in this same predicament that Jonah is in, Lord, I pray that you open up our ears. Open up our eyes. And God, with great compassion, I pray that you soften our hearts. So we leave this morning with changed lives. Lord, I pray that we take this very familiar story and apply it. Lord, I pray that your word convicts us. I pray that everything I do and say is true to your word, Lord, May this morning be about you and your thoughts and your words and not mine. God, give me your heart. Give me your passion. Give me your words. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. It's interesting as we look at this story of Jonah. In some regards, um, this story or Jonah himself would be looked at much differently if it ended in chapter 3. If I remind you guys, last week we saw how Jonah came eventually in chapter 3. Jonah gave in to God's calling. And Jonah went to Nineveh. And he preached a very uplifting message like I preached last week. A message of judgment. (laughs) Um, In the um, English version of our Bibles that, that message was eight words in the Hebrew it was five words but those or that message turned the whole city of Nineveh upside down Bible tells us that they all repented and they all accepted Jesus all accepted God and so if the story had ended there we would we would be left with this this story of this man who ran from God tried to run from God Um. Went in a boat, a storm arrived, got thrown out of the boat into the water, was swallowed by this great fish, Um, spent some time in this fish, three days, had this big prayer in chapter 2. The the, the God causes the whale to throw up Jonah. Jonah decides to go to Nineveh. He goes, preaches, boom, the whole place accepts Jesus. Massive revival. And we would leave this story thinking, wow, how awesome. But then God gives us chapter 4. And I find it so fascinating to think about how this chapter even begins. I mean, think of that first verse. I mean, after all of this occurs, and it says, "But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry." Now, again, we we got to remember that Jonah's profession was a prophet. You know, it's similar to like a pastor. We don't know the exact population of Nineveh. Um, it's it's hard for us to really come to grips. At the very end of this chapter, when um, that eleventh verse and it says, when Jesus is leaving this question with Jonah, he says, um, "And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than one hundred twenty thousand persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand?" That that fragment of speech that that not knowing their right hand from the left hand, that typically during that time was um, used to, to um, demonstrate children. And so if we look at it through that lens, what, when they're talking about Nineveh, they're saying there's about 120,000 just children. I mean, kids that don't know their right hand from their left hand. Um, some, some scholars estimate that the population of Nineveh could have exceeded 600,000 people. And that's a lot of people. Um, the other estimations say that, that the city itself was somewhere around 175, 180,000 people. It's still a, a lot of people during this time. And to think that, like, Jonah goes find, reluctantly and, and fights all the way through this, you know, and just the experience of being in the belly of this fish for those three days gets shot out and goes to Nineveh and just. You would think that he goes that time in the whale would have gotten his heart right with God, that he would have gone, and then he goes and preaches this short message in the city and the whole place accepts God. Like I, I, I couldn't even imagine we've been blessed um, to have people in our service, our services in our first year and a half accept God, accept Jesus as their Savior. And, and if you've been to those services, like my heart like breaks, like, I get excited. Like, I, there, there are times where I cry when, when just one person accepts God. I couldn't even imagine like, preaching in a boom somewhere between 175,000 and 600,000 people like accept. Like that's crazy. Like this is the largest revival recorded in history. And Jonah's response is he's angry. He's mad. I mean, not just angry. I mean, I, I love how it's, it, starts, uh, it starts off where he's, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. So, like, he was really, really angry. Not just bummed, but angry. To me, that's so fascinating. Like, we see this, and, and as we looked at this, this story here um, in Jonah, we, we, we see how God has done these things in Jonah all along this journey. Uh, one of the things I think that is, is fascinating, if this week maybe is you might consider doing this. Um, read Luke 15. And when you get into Luke 15, there's this parable that we're all familiar with. The parable of the prodigal son. And when we look at that story, and if we read Jonah, we can see a lot of these same characters from the prodigal son played out in Jonah. Right In, in the first couple chapters of Jonah, we see Jonah being the prodigal son. Like a very, You look at chapter 1, you read that, you read the parable of the prodigal son, you see Jonah. Jonah's that prodigal son. Like he wants out, he's running, he's trying to get away from his father. Um. In the prodigal story, the story of the prodigal son, you see this father who, who loves his son unconditionally continues to love his son, and when the son comes home, throws his big old party for him, and it's, the love is always there. It's, it's not ending. He, he forgives his son and welcomes him in with open arms. And we see that played out. God does the same thing all throughout Jonah. All these things that occur, from the storm, from the great fish, to the things that we're going to look at today, all of this was prepared by God. It was God's grace that brought Jonah to this point of the story. But when we get to Jonah chapter 4, we see if we're we're thinking in the vein of the prodigal son, you guys remember at the very end of that parable, the older brother shows up. And the older brother is upset about this, isn't he? The older brother gets upset at his dad because his dad's welcoming in the prodigal son. To the point where the older brother just stays outside the party, and he moans, and he cries, and he complains. He, he analyzes the whole situation, and he throws a big old pity party. You guys remember that? In Jonah chapter 4, we see the older son showing up in Jonah. Jonah's sitting outside the city throwing a big old pity party. There's a couple of reasons, I think, why we see that Jonah's upset. Uh, first, I think part of this is you know, Jonah's being the one that's going to go in there and declare judgment. Now all of a sudden judgment's not going to come. And so he looks like the fool. I think Jonah gets upset, is bothered about what's going to happen to his own personal reputation. God's doing something that, that people are going to think differently about Jonah. Jonah's supposed to be the prophet, and things that he's telling people isn't going to happen, isn't going to occur. So what's going to happen to Jonah's credibility? What's going to happen to his reputation? And so rather than allowing God to work, rather than trusting in God, rather than seeing God at work, seeing the blessings of God and rejoicing in that, Jonah's going to be upset about how people are going to perceive him. I think that's one reason why he gets upset. I think there's another reason, probably a greater reason, is Jonah's battling this revenge factor. Now, if you remember, Jonah is a Jew. He he grew up in an area close to Galilee. Nineveh is part of the Assyrian Empire. They are not Jews. They're Gentiles. So remember, we talked about this before. Jonah's called into a foreign country to, to declare a judgment from a foreign god. The Assyrian Empire, and this is not even just biblical. This is like historical. You can do studies on what the Assyrian Empire was like and the Assyrians and how they, how they conquered their countries and how wicked and evil and barbaric they were. I mean, these people feasted on these other, on these other countries, other areas. Um... When they, would go, when they would go and conquer areas, I mean, history tells us that, that a lot of countries, when they even heard rumors of the Assyrian Empire coming, they would wave the white flag because they didn't even want to engage in battle with these barbarians. When, when they would capture their, the people, again, history tells us that they would take these, those people who they conquered, they would begin to march them hundreds of miles To become slaves, but it wasn't just marching. They would take fish hooks. And typically they would put it into their mouths, connect the fish hooks to ropes, and that's how they would drag these people. So you'd have tens of thousands of people fish hooked, walking hundreds of miles. Like that doesn't sound like nice people, does it? Like if if they went into a, a, a country or an area, a town, a city, whatever. And they decided not to keep the people. One of the most common things they would do is they would, they would go to, those, to, the, to the people in the city, they would cut their noses, their hands off, and their feet off, and they would allow the people to bleed to death. Now Again, so uh, this is not trying to gross us out, but this is to give us a picture of the people that God is calling Jonah to go to. These are sick, demented, twisted people. So before we judge Jonah too quickly, we have to understand, like, God's call here is to do something big and to go to people like Jonah had, had seen do wicked and vile things. And Jonah wanted not God to forgive the Ninevites, or the Assyrians. He wanted to see God judge them for the things that they had done. So I believe there's a part of, of Jonah who's this loyal patriot who wants to see judgment rain down on this wicked nation. And he's angry. And when we see in this discussion he begins to have this prayer he has with God, we see that like Jonah has like, absolutely strong theology up in his head. But right, He says up there, Lord, um, this is not what I said when I was yet in my country. And then you see, going into towards the end of that, this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Maybe underline this in your Bibles. It says, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. You know what's so ironic about this? All these traits that Jonah's angry with God about having are the same traits that we see God using with Jonah, aren't they? All throughout Jonah, when Jonah's running from God, we see how God is continually gracious to him, how God is merciful to him. Like, again, if I'm God and, and I give orders, to Jonah to go and do something, and he doesn't not, not only does he not do it, but he got decides to go the opposite way from where I asked him to go. I think I'm gonna be a pretty tough judge on that. I'm not gonna provide a storm to maybe get his attention, I'm probably not going to create this fish who at just the right time, as Jonah's sinking at the bottom of the water while, while the Bible tells us the seaweed's wrapping around his head and his legs, I'm probably not going to create this, this fish that's going to come at just the right moment that's going to swallow him and protect him. And I'm probably, if I do decide to create this fish, it's probably not going to be a fish that's going to protect him, but it's going to be this great white shark that's going to gobble him up, and that will be on this week's episode of, of Shark Week. But God doesn't do that. God, all throughout, God continues to show mercy and grace on Jonah. He's slow to anger with Jonah. And so all these things, Jonah knows this about God. Jonah's seen this in his own life. He knows in his head but he's not allowing this theology to travel from his head to his heart. And with all this great theology that Jonah spits out at God, he comes to this point where Jonah himself says in this prayer, "Just take me. I'm done. Just I'd rather die." Again, he just, I mean, God just used him to save this massive amount of people. I mean, you think about this story that you could be the one that could go home and say, listen, that wicked country that we've heard about, like, God used me to go in there, this short message, and boom, they've all changed. Like, that's amazing. But rather than, than, than rest in the blessings of God, he turns bitter and upset and angry. To the point where he says, I would rather just die. God, take me. I'm done. And God asked Jonah a simple answer. Do you do well to be angry? Uh, maybe a more modern way for us to say that is is it right for you to be angry? I mean, God listened to Jonah complain. He, he listened to the whole pity party. And again, this is where I think sometimes we rest, where I rest. Because when, when life begins to get difficult and when, when the storms of life occur, when the trials occur, like I can throw a pity party like nobody's business. Like my four kids... I I see it played out in them. Like all that pouting, they learned from their father. Like I can throw a pity party. And God listens to Jonah's pity party, and he turns to him and he says, listen, Jonah, is it all right for you to be angry? Because, see, what happens is in, in my thinking, I so often think, well, God, um, if I'm doing what you want me to do, if I'm doing everything that's supposed to be right, like if I'm reading my Bible, if I, if I pray before I eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, um, if I'm a nice person, if I'm polite to people, if I'm pretty okay as a husband and fairly okay as a dad, like I deserve good things. Like I deserve a life that should be, for the most part, free of too many stumbling blocks. But as soon as something occurs, like I'm the first one to say, God, why? What, what did I do to deserve this? And that's what Jonah said. Jonah's like, God, like, I, I don't deserve this. As if we're the ones that are able to make God do what we want. And so I think God's kind of asking this question, like Jonah, so you think you deserve this? You think you have the right to be angry at me? And like any good pity party, Jonah stomps out of the room. says that Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. So Jonah stomps off. It's almost, I remember when I was a little kid, I was, I don't know how old I was. I was little, little, like I had like a, those little like tricycle type things, like the little, um, low to the ground plastic. Like they were awesome. I had like my own little gang around the neighborhood. Hot hot, hot wheels, big wheels, big wheels. They were all I wish they made them for (laughs) grownups. I would be Awesome. But I had one of those bad boys. It was blue and red and had these yellow petals. It was cool. And I remember um, I got in trouble for something. I don't remember what I did, but I got mad at my parents. And, um, and so the deci- what I thought would be the best decision was to run away from home in my, like, three-year-old mind. So I got on my big wheel, and I took off. Um, There was only one problem. I realized that I was not allowed to cross the street. And so I couldn't really travel very far. So I hid behind a garage. Um, I actually tried to take my sister with me. And eventually she saw my dad driving around. She ran out there and waved at my dad. And so it was a failed attempt. But I remember I was upset. I was mad. I was angry. So I ran away. And that's what Jonah does. He's mad, he's upset, so he he runs away. He goes outside the city, and, and, and he's perched out there where he can overlook and see this great city of Nineveh with hopes that maybe God changes his mind. Like, like maybe, like, and there, there's no real way, like, that many people can make this genuine, true repentance. Like, that many people are really going to turn to God, like... I, maybe it didn't happen. Maybe it's not really real. And God's going to see the hearts of those people. And God's going to ultimately decide to bring this wrath down there and judge this area. And I'm going to just sit back there and wait and watch and see the destruction happen. You guys see kind of this twisted heart of Jonah? Like rather than having this compassion for these people who just accepted God. Rather than staying there and and teaching them what what God has to say to them, using the the Bible and and teaching and preaching and discipling them, rather than having this great compassion, he's still hoping that God's going to bring his wrath of fire down on Nineveh. And so he goes and he he watches. And so God is going to use a little bit of an object lesson to once again try and teach Jonah something. After starting in verse 6, we see that God appoints three different things, or God prepares three different things. Verse 6 says the Lord appointed a plant. Um, your Bible might say gourd or something like that. So it's hot out there. Jonah's in the desert area. And he, as deserts are, gets hot. And he decides to um, sit out there, and he's hot. He's sweating, and, and God prepares this plant. This plant has these big old leaves, and it provides shade for Jonah. If you see their, their response in verse, towards the end of verse 6, it says, So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. You guys want to know what's significant about that statement? Jonah was exceedingly glad? This is the only time in the book of Jonah. that we see Jonah happy. The only time in the book of Jonah that Jonah is happy, and he's happy because of a plant. This plant that provides shade for him. You know, when we were talking before about do we have the right to be angry with God, um, and I talk about, some, about us deserving things sometimes. You know what's interesting about blessings? Is blessings come whether we deserve them or not. We are never worthy of God's blessings. It doesn't matter how good of a life we live. doesn't matter how much good we do. Doesn't, doesn't, none of that matters. We, we cannot earn God's favor and the flip side of that is, we cannot manipulate God's favor. God gives us blessings. I don't know if, if you're like me, there's times in my life that I can look back. and some of the greatest blessings that have occurred in my life are at some of my darkest moments, like the times when I least deserved God's blessings. Like the times when I'm doing anything and everything that I can to run away from God. And God gives a blessing. I think those are great lessons to us, to remind us that God will continually pursue us. That God loves us. That, that same theology that Jonah prayed about, how he is a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. God Shows that and these blessings. And so often it's the moments when we least deserve them. So this gourd appears and Jonah's happy. So that night when Jonah goes to sleep, God creates something different. It says that God appointed or prepared a worm. And that worm attacked the plant so that it withered. So Joan is happy. Big old leaves giving him shade in the desert as he's sitting there waiting and watching and hoping that this city of Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Wakes up the next morning, and all the leaves are withered away. And as I think we can probably guess, he's not too happy. Verse 8 says, and then the sun rose and God appointed, prepared, or created a scorching east wind. So this hot wind, hot breeze comes through the air. So not not only is the leaves of this plant that he so much loved the day before dead, withered, gone, now comes an extra layer of heat through this hot breeze. And Jonah's upset. He's mad. And makes the same statement he said before. It's better for me to die than to be alive. And God says to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Um, Again, it reminds me as a parent. Sometimes we have those conversations with our kids where our kids are mad and upset over something silly. Like they're arguing over a DSI or a ball or whatever. And they say all sorts of mean, hateful things. You come in, they got claw marks on their face and hair's all discombobulated, shirt's half untucked and drool everywhere and snot coming out of their face. And you get to the root of the problem and it's all over a beach ball. And you sit back and you're like, seriously? We're going to argue over something this silly. That's what God does to Jonah. He's like, All right, Jonah, so you're that upset. You're that mad. You're so upset and mad about a plant dying that you're saying, just take me now. Life is over. I want out. It's craziness. And you know, again in life, as we get older and we gain a little bit more perspective, we see how sometimes God brings in these blessings of life, things that we enjoy, things that we love, and things that sometimes bring comfort and joy. And then later God takes those things. Um, I, I would encourage you, um, if you were to go into the book of Job, and we all know Job and his struggles, Right? Job in the first chapter makes this. He says, um, and he said, naked I came to my, from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gives, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. There may not be a person better in scripture who can tell you the understanding of that statement. Because we saw all the blessings of the things that Jonah had, blessings that God gave him, and we saw it all taken away. Sometimes God brings worms in our own lives, worms that will take away some of those blessings. We get upset, we get mad, but the reality is God does that out of his grace and his love for us. Because God knows those things, some of those things that we can become so attached to, that if we're not careful, can become idols. Just like a plant became an idol for Jonah. And so God in his grace and his mercy allows something to come in and take that away from us. So that we trust and that we rest in him. And then, as this storm, as this wind comes in, we we, we can think of this as, as, as trials in our lives. And those trials in our lives weren't, weren't made to make or break us, but they were created to reveal things to us, reveal our hearts to us. The reality is as that wind came in and the trial was revealed, Jonah had a few choices to make. He could continue to wallow. He could continue to complain. He, he could go back and use that wind as a reminder of how God blessed them the day before with the plant and the shade and the coolness. And so he could have gone and and thanked God for the blessings that he had the previous day. And here's the great reminder. He could have stopped throwing the pity party gone back down to the city into the comfort of one of the homes and done what God had called him to do. See, sometimes those trials in our lives we make a lot more difficult than they need to be. Jonah had the option. Jonah could have gone back to the city of Nineveh. I mean, he he's the great preacher. He's like the Billy Graham on steroids of the day. Like he would have been welcomed into any home. I mean, he probably could have hung out at the king's palace, been eaten grapes and strawberries or whatever it was that they did at Nineveh today. He could have done all of that. He did not have to suffer in the desert in the heat. But he chose to. And I find find chapter 4 fascinating for so many reasons. Because it ends with a question. There's there's only two books in the Bible that end with questions. Nahum and Jonah. What's interesting about that is both of the questions... revolve around the same city, Nineveh. In Nahum, it's a question about God's judgment. But in Jonah, it's a question about God's pity and compassion for the lost. And he says to him, you pity the plant You're crying over a plant that you did nothing to prepare. You didn't labor over it. You didn't create it. You didn't make it grow. I mean, nothing. It came in one night and then it died the next night. Verse 11. If you have a Bible, I want you guys to underline this. It says, and should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. An area of 120,000 children that don't know about God. Feel the weight of that question. What's so fascinating, in a story as dramatic as this book of Jonah, the story of this, this prophet who would go through this, the storms in the boat, who would try and run from God, who would be thrown in the water, who would be swallowed by the fish, who would go and he would preach in Nineveh, would see this massive revival. And it ends with a question. And we have no idea what Jonah's answer was. We have no idea how Jonah responded. But here's the truth. We ought to focus less on how Jonah responded and consider what our response is. God's placed us In a city, in a community, in a state, in a country in a world that's full of people who do not know about Jesus Christ. If we are going to be sincere and absolute, if we we're going to stand in front of a mirror and do a full self-exam. Folks, I know most of us here. I don't doubt our salvation or your salvation. But sometimes if you're like me, the church stuff, the theology, the the Bible knowledge, you can stay trapped up here in my head to where I know it. If we're going to play Bible trivia, I might do well at it. But if it stays here, it does very little. Are we allowing God's word to travel south of our head to our hearts? Is it breaking us? Are we grasping what we talked about last week? About a literal hell. And if people do not know Jesus Christ, if they have not accepted him as their Lord and Savior, they will spend eternity there. Not a day, not a week, not a month, not a hundred years, not a thousand years, not a million years, eternity. If we allow the reality to grab us. Not just people that we like. Not those who are in our own demographics. Not just the people we rub shoulders with at work. But everyone. I so badly... I read a stat this last week that claimed there are only that there's less than 5% of the churches in the United States who we can consider multi-ethnic. Meaning this, according to this study, that not one single ethnic group made up over 80% of the church You know the saying is the most segregated place on Sunday is a church. But listen, we all have different likes, we all have different styles. I'm not beating us up about that. What I'm saying is, I want us to reach people. Period. I don't care how young they are or how old they are. I don't care what color skin they have. I don't care um, what issues they're battling. I don't care what orientation they may or may not be. It doesn't mean we approve everything. but I myself can often be like Jonah sitting outside the city and I'm okay if God tells me to go to a nice group of people but when God calls us to go to the less fortunate when God calls us to go to those who are outwardly Opposing him. When God calls us to show love and mercy, it's not always easy. And God asked the question what about those who don't know him? You're going to show more compassion for a stupid plant than you are for a soul. Not even just one soul, but over 120,000 souls. Jonah is a fascinating, a fascinating book and a fascinating character to me. I hope over the last few weeks we've lost the focus of the whale and we realize that the whale just played a cameo role he had really very little to do with this story. And we've looked at God and His unrelenting grace, and His unbelievable compassion, and His love and His mercy. We've seen the power of God that God used these few words of this rebellious. Hard hearted country prophet in a big city to turn that city upside down. And hopefully it encourages us that if God can do it then, if God could do it there in the Old Testament, what can He do today? And it allows us that even the most wicked, the most vile people. When they come face to face with the gospel, the gospel is stronger and can change them. But I hope we're also reminded of Jonah. Jonah wasn't this innocent guy who happened to be swallowed by a whale. Jonas was a man who was rebellious. He knew the Bible. He was in church. He was in Sunday school. He was in all that stuff. If they had a sword drill back in the day, he probably could have won it. But he allowed concern over his own reputation in revenge to rule him. And he did not allow all the stuff that he knew to travel to his heart to make a true life change. And despite God working, and despite all that stuff that he was rebelling from, God continued to work. And as he saw the blessings of God, he continued to run, continued to run, and lived a miserable, at least as far as we can tell in these four chapters of Jonah lived a miserable life, and it was all self-induced. Guys, I hope, I hope that we answer the question that God poses in a way in which we say, "Yes, God, I see the lostness, yes, I got, I see the helplessness, I see the hopelessness, and God, I want." To go, I'm going to go. <clears throat> I'm going to be your servant. I pray, I pray, I pray that we allow this book to sink into our heart, our souls, and our minds. And we take every breath we have left in this life and we use it for His glory. For his honor. God calls us to go. But as we see in Jonah, God's the one who accomplishes the task. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for what I believe is a tremendous, tremendous book. And what a great reminder it is for us, Lord, about this prophet of yours, Jonah. And I know God, even as a pastor, I'm so often just like him. I'm running from what you've called me to do. And I'll pick and choose what's most convenient for me. And there are times where I might make a decision based on my reputation Lord, I pray that you break us, change us. God, give us this deep compassion for the lost, those who do not know you. God, give us your heart. Work in us. In your son's name we pray, amen. We are going um, <coughs> to me, sing a song of invitation called How He Loves. Um, as we sing this song, and it's a familiar song, I think we, most of us have heard on the radio, heard it, and we've sang it before in church. Here's what I want us to think about. I want us to think about two things. One, so often, at least when I sing this song, I think about how much God loves me. Again, it's a continual reminder of my selfishness. I know He loves me. um, But as we sing this song this morning, maybe there's some other faces we need to connect to this song. Maybe there's some neighbors we have to be reminded of that God loves them. Uh, God doesn't just love the good guys. He loves the bad guys. If we're all being honest, we're all part of the bad guys. God loves the Taliban and ISIS, Boko Haram. God, God, God loves those people as much as He loves you and me. We have choices, they have choices. But is our hearts even breaking in compassion for those people, or are we just hoping that God brings judgment on them? Where are our hearts? So as we sing this, how he loves, maybe we need to think today about how, yeah, God loves me, but he loves more than just Chad. So we're going to sing this song. Go ahead, guys.